I'd like to say um, before we go into our sermon, before we dive down and dive deep into the word, uh, I want to say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, brothers and sisters. Uh, Tuesday night, we're in the house of the Lord. Uh, and today, I have the honor, the privilege of beginning our sermon series, uh, Christ's Threefold Ministry, King, Prophet, and Priest. And a lot of, as a lot of you guys uh, walked in today, you noticed that there was a big cross on stage, and you're like, hey, you know, we're, it's not Easter yet, uh, but we're, we're getting a head start on celebrating. And, um, you know, I, I've, I've asked some people, and I, I want to I wanna give out this question to us tonight. When we think about Easter, when we think about um, you know, we're, we're celebrating Palm Sunday next, this upcoming Sunday. When we think about this holiday, what does it bring to mind? Like, what is the first thing that comes, comes to your head as, as you think? If you, like, if I tell you the word Easter, what is the first thing that pops into your head? Like, give me, give me an example. Austin, what is the first thing that pops into your head when you hear Easter? That's a good one. Eddie? Not Eddie, <laughs> Ivan. Resurrection, some girls. What is the first thing? When, when you think about Easter, what is the first thing that comes to your, to your mind, to, to your thoughts? Resurrection. Anybody else? Just, like, just off the top of your head. Jesus lives. So a, a lot of the things that we're, we're familiar with is uh, that Jesus, uh, you know, words such as like victory, right? Glory, triumph. Uh, and, and these are all good things. These are all things that do describe Easter because uh, Easter in and of itself is a holiday that celebrates the resurrection of our Lord and, Jesus, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And what we often kind of put aside when you know, we approach Easter, we approach this holiday, and we think about you know, the, the fact that he was the risen king. And that's what my topic is on tonight. He was the risen king. He is the risen king. But there was, you know, I broke down this, 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 um, his kingly ministry in kind of like four different categories. And I want to focus tonight on each category that led up to him being this victorious king. And so before he was this triumphant risen king, he was first and foremost, he was the prophesied king. So in all the prophets in, in the Old Testament leading up to the New Testament, there was a number of prophets that prophesied about Jesus that said that he was to be coming and he was to uh, serve here on earth. Uh, the second category I want to focus on in Christ's kingly ministry is that he was a, uh, uh, a humble king. He came into this earth. He was born in a, in a humble manger. He lived his life as a servant, even though he held his title as king. He served in his ministry as a servant. Uh, the third category I'd like to, we, we were going to focus on tonight is uh, Jesus, the crucified king. He, he held on to his kingly title, but he, he was crucified on, on a Roman cross. He was crucified uh, by, by the very people he came to save. And, and the fourth category, and there's, I'm going to throw in a fifth category towards the end. The fourth category, which we're going to finish off on, is Jesus Christ, the risen king, uh, our, our topic for tonight. And let's, let's start off in the book of Isaiah. If everybody has your Bibles, let's start off in the book of Isaiah. We're going to go in chapter 9. And 
you know, we're, we're going to just kind of break down a number of prophecies that were given about Jesus uh, and the fact that he was going to be a king here on earth. So let's go, go to Isaiah chapter 9. We hear this a lot around Christmas. Uh, and Isaiah 9, chapter 6, and cha uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and verse 7. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice, from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Another uh, prophecy I want to read is found in Zechariah uh, chapter 9, and this is going to be in verse 9, where it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Uh, and then the third and last um, t uh, prophecy I wanted, I wanted to look at was found in Micah, uh, chapter 5, verse 2, where it says, But you, O Bethlehem, this, I have a hard time with this word, but I'll try my best, Ephra Ephrata, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose, going, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting." And so we see all of these pro uh, prophecies that were given about a king that was to reign uh, in Israel. And I can imagine that uh, the, the Israelites, as they were hearing these prophecies by the prophets, you know, they were thinking to themselves, uh, man, when is this king going to come? You know, they had, they had Saul. He was, you know, he was kind of, a, he was, uh, first he was a good king, then he was a bad king. Then they had David, which was a really good king. And then they had Solomon. And then after that, you had just a number of kings that, Israel went through, and each of these kings, you know, had their own nuances. Each king, you know, he might have been a good king, he might have been a bad king, but the point of the fact of the matter is that each of these kings was not the Messiah. Each of these kings did not live up to all of these prophecies that the prophets said. You know, the, the, a king came and a king went, and a king came and a king went, but the, these titles that the, the, the prophets were giving, you know, he was going to be wonderful, he was going to be counselor, he was going to be mighty, it wasn't, it wasn't, the, these these kings weren't living up to these promises, and and so Israel they're they're going through this journey they're going through this, uh, they're, and they're living year after year you know decades after decades maybe hundreds of years after hundreds of years, and you know they're they're telling their children hey we, when we were children we heard a prophecy that there was going to be a king. Maybe in your generation, this king is going to come. And then those children grow up, and then they're telling their children, hey, we heard that through a prophecy, you know, that, that there's going to be a king that's going, to do, that's going to save Israel, that's going to deliver Israel, that's going to be this wonderful, wonderful king. And yet, year after year, decade after decade, they, they still don't get this king. And so there comes a point, there comes a point, and we read this, you know, we, we look at the book of Malachi, which is the last minor prophet before before the New Testament, Malachi. And in, in the times of Malachi, it, there, was, there was a 400-year silence from, from God. You know, Israel reached a point where they were so corrupted by, 
they were so corrupted with, with priests that were, that were false. They were corrupted by wickedness. Uh, they were practicing um, evil. They were backsliding. And so Israel, they, they reached kind of a boiling point in their, in their existence of waiting for this king that was prophesied, that was promised by the prophets, and yet they never came. And so Israel reaches this point where they're like, okay, if, if this king is not going to come, we're just going to start living the way that we want to. If, if, if Israel is not going to get its king that's going to deliver us, we're going to just start, you know, subjecting ourselves to the Roman kings and to the Gentile kings and all these other kings that were during that time. And so 400 year passes with, without a word from the Lord, 400 year passes between Malachi and the New Testament where the Lord kind of just allows Israel to just kind of just kind of moping its misery, right? Like, it's like, just, you know what, have at it. You, you, you have turned your back on God so many times. Just, here's your 400 years, do as you please. Uh, and then after 400 years of silence, you know, the silence is broken. And this is where I want to turn to Jesus, the humble king. And so in chapter 1, uh, Matthew, the, the apostle, he begins this really long genealogy of, of names that tie Jesus with David. And um, the, this entirety chapter, uh, the first chapter of Matthew, it's, it's, it's solely dedicated to show that the lineage of, of, of uh, Jesus was directly related to David. You know, Jesus was said that he was going to be called the son of David. And so Matthew goes to go through all this great trouble to show that, in fact, Jesus was the son of David. You know, we read it, um, uh, the very first verse, it says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so it begins from Abraham, and Abraham begot this guy, and this guy begot this guy. And so we go through all this list, and we finally reach verse 16, where it says, and Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. And after the birth of Jesus, uh, there was a guy, there was another king in that time, and his name was King Herod. And again, we hear this story a lot at Christmas. Uh, I do apologize for bringing up so many Christmas events. This, this led up to the, the life of Jesus being crucified. Uh, and also, you know, Christmas is a wonderful time of the year. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Um, and so Jesus is born, and, you know, after all these number of prophecies, Israel finally gets its Messiah. And so Jesus is born, and King Herod gets word of this news, like, hey, Herod, you know, the, a king was just born in Bethlehem. You know, what are you going to do about it? And so Herod, you know, he's, he, he's a wise guy, right? He's, he's, not, he's not probably not the, you know, he, he understands that, you know, there, ha there, there, is, there, all, there was all of these prophecies about a guy that was going to be king in Israel, and it wasn't about him. You know, he understood that. You know, he understood that he himself wasn't what, what the whole fuss was going on about. And so Herod, you know, he's, he's beginning to, you know, you know, overthink things, right? You know, overthinking, and he's, you know, probably sleeping at night. He's like, man, somebody's born, and he's going to take my, he's going to overthrow my kingdom. He's going to overthrow my throne. I won't be able to be king anymore. And so in this kind of troubled and, you know, desperate state of King Herod that he was in, uh, you know, he's being threatened, and he's being threatened by a child. And so he, what he does is he goes 
and by divine order, he orders all the children under the age of two to be killed. And at this time, uh, the parents of, of Jesus, they take Jesus and they flee to Egypt uh, where, they, where they escape from, from Herod. And so this was the beginning, the beginning of Jesus' humble uh, kind of ministry as a humble king on this earth. You know, he, he came not as a lot of the Jews were expecting, right? A lot of the Jews, what I would kind of imagine was they were expecting, you know, somebody to kind of like a lineage of some great king, you know, like, oh, this was Caesar's great, great grandfather, great, great grandson. And, and now he's going to, now he's going to take the throne or some relative of Herod, you know, somebody that had name, that had affluence during that time. And so they were expecting this guy. They weren't expecting, you know, the king to be born in a manger. They weren't expecting the king to be born uh, in a stable and, and just kind of with the animals. And nobody comes to visit him except some shepherds and some wise guys. And so they're like, you know, we, we, we're not going to take this seriously. We're not going to take his birth seriously. And, and that began Jesus' divine uh, ministry here on earth. And he remains humble throughout all of this. You know, he didn't begin his ministry until he was 30 years old. And I'd like to look at some examples of, of just the humbleness of Jesus that he showed throughout his ministry here on earth. And uh, the first one uh, was Jesus feeding the 5,000. So uh, this is going to be in John chapter 6. And, and, I, and I feel, and I overlooked this myself but there's this specific verse in, chapter, in John chapter 6. There's a specific verse that, you know, we kind of just pass over. We, we, you know, we focus on, the, on this great miracle that he did, that he fed the 5,000 people. And we're like, wow, wow, Jesus, you did this amazing thing. But, you know, there's this verse in here that we often overlook. And I want to I look at that verse. So, you know, let's go through chapter 6 real quick. So Jesus... You know, he has a great number of people uh, coming out to hear, you know, probably one of his sermons. And Jesus tells his, his disciples, you know, tell these guys to sit down. What do we have? What are we working with? And so the, the disciples are like, well, this guy, you know, he has two fish. You know, he has uh, five loaves of bread. You know, what are we going to do with that? We're probably going to feed, you know, some guy's grandpa and he's going to be full, you know. And Jesus says, you know what, have everybody sit down. And so Jesus takes these loaves, he takes these fishes, he thanks the Lord, and he, he distributed them to the disciples. And he tells his disciples, you know, start spreading it out. And so they feed all of these people. And in verse 12 it says, So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which are left over by those who had eaten. And so Jesus performs this great, great, amazing miracle. And all these guys, all these women and children, they were full from five loaves and two fish. And this is the, the verses leading up to it where it says, Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. And verse, six, verse 15 is what I want to focus on. This is the verse that I overlooked, and I feel like a lot of us have overlooked as well. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Jesus had opportunities to become, you know, the king that, that the Jews were looking for during that time. 
Even when he was taken to the desert and tempted by the devil, you know, the devil offered to him, hey, look, as far as your eye can see, you have all these kingdoms, all of these all these powers that were just going to give him, that will be given to you if you just bow down to me. Jesus says, no, you know, uh, not, you know, uh, a man doesn't j- just feed himself on, on bread. He feeds himself on the word of God. And so he's given these opportunities. And even in John chapter 6, where these people, after they witnessed this great uh, miracle, they're ready to crown him king. Like, Jesus, you're the guy. You're the guy that's going to overthrow Herod. We can finally be free. We can finally, you know, be this great nation of Israel that all of these prophets have prophesied for hundreds of years before your birth. This is your moment to shine. And when Jesus hears this, he, he says, you know, it's not my time. It's not my time. So he kind of leaves. He withdraws himself. He goes to the mountain by himself. And, you know, this, this shows again you know, that he, he's confirming his title as king. The people see him as king. The people are ready to crown him king. But Jesus says it's not his time. So he remains humble. Jesus remains humble on his ministry on earth. And the third story I want to look at, and this is found in Matthew chapter 21. And this is what we're going to be celebrating next Sunday. Uh, and this is Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday. So all of you, if you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 21. We're going to start at verse, um, verse 1. So I'll just kind of break it down. So Jesus' triumphal, triumphant in, entry into Jerusalem. So he tells his disciples, um, go into this village. You're going to find a donkey there. Go ahead and bring that donkey to me. And, you know, we're going to fulfill a prophecy that, w- that was given to us. What was this prophecy? I read about it in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, where it says, uh, Tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you. So uh, uh, look at this verse. Behold, your king is coming to you. Jesus, again, is fulfilling his role as a king here on earth. It says, lowly, but not the way that, you know, most of the Jews were expecting, but lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. You know, he, he, Jesus comes in, into Jerusalem during this time, and he's coming in a way that he's telling the, the, the Jews of that time, you know, I am, I am your king. I came to this earth to fulfill my role as king of the Jews, but I'm not going to come with fanfare. I'm not here to overthrow some government. I'm not here to, uh, you know, create this new social economic change in, in you know, the, what you guys are desiring. I'm here as a humble guy, I'm here, I'm entering Jerusalem, and all these people, are, they're shouting, they're saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And so he's coming in, and he's coming in humbly, humbly. And I want to I wanna just focus on this for a second, that Jesus, you know, he, he had all of these opportunities. He had an opportunity, you know, this, you know he could have entered Jerusalem on, on some big horse with a bunch of carriages behind and following him with like a band playing and, you know, like, hey, guys, look, I'm here to save you. And Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't do that. He says, uh, he tells his disciples, go bring me a donkey. I'm going to sit on that donkey. And, and riding a donkey was seen as like a humble, you know, like you, you don't own any animals. You, all you have is a donkey. You know, he's a stubborn animal. You know, he could stop in the middle of the road and you're not going to get anywhere, right? And he, he has all of these opportunities, and he affirms this, you know, he, he affirms this 
the fact that he was sent here on earth not to fulfill, uh, for him to become king here on earth, not to uh, become king of, an actual king of the Jews, but he was here to establish his kingdom in heaven. And so this is found in John chapter 18, verse 36, where you know, G, uh, Jesus is standing before Pilate, and Pilate asks him, are you the king of the Jews? And he says that his kingdom is not of this world. And if it was of this world, he would have servants fighting for him. He would have servants kind of protecting him, saying, you know, you're, you guys are not, you're not going to destroy Jesus. You're not going to let him to be crucified. We're not going to allow him to be crucified. And so Jesus in his ministry on earth, uh, through king, though he was king, savior, and messiah, he remained humble and he renounced his kingdom here on earth, but he was teaching of a kingdom to come. And he, humbled, he humbled himself to death and death on a Roman cross. And this is where I want to continue our look at, at his ministry as king, as the crucified king. So the third category uh, in Jesus' ministry as king, Jesus the crucified king. And so we read about we read about the fact that he was a prophesied king. We read about the fact that he was a humble king. Uh, now let's look at Jesus, the crucified king. So John chapter 19. John chapter 19, we read about Jesus' crucifixion. Now he's being delivered up to be crucified. Uh, and in the eyes of the Pharisees, in the eyes of the scribes, in the eyes of the Romans, uh, the, you know, they're thinking to themselves, hey, this is, this is our opportunity to just kind of, you know, dust off our hands. This guy, he was, you know, in our eyes, he was a troublemaker. He was attempting to overthrow Herod. He was attempting to, you know, become this big, significant uh, figure in the eyes of a lot of the Jews. You know, this is our moment to just get rid of him finally, and we can move on from him. So in John chapter 19, verse 14, uh, Jesus presents himself before Pilate. Um, and Pilate says, he, you know, there's a, number of great, uh, there's a great number of Jews gathered there. There's a number of just uh, Romans and just a, a bunch of people are gathered there to see what's going to happen. Like what's going to happen to Jesus. And so Jesus is standing there and Pilate you know, he's, he's telling the Jews, hey, behold your king. This is your king. This is the guys. This is the guy that you read about in your prophecies, you know, so-called prophecies. This is the guy that served you guys. This is, this is your king. What, what am I going to do with him now? And so they're crying out over and over again, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate, you know, he's this guy, and he's, he's kind of on the fence. He's like, wait a minute. Should I crucify this guy that, Prophecies have talked about him for hundreds of years. You guys were waiting, you alone, you the Jews were waiting for this guy for hundreds of years. You know, he, he was in, in your midst. You know, he didn't commit any crimes that were serious. He didn't murder anybody. He didn't, you know, he didn't steal things. He didn't do all these things. Why should I crucify this guy that literally did nothing? And now you guys are over here, you know, calling for his head. And, you know, they're, again, they're like, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate says to them, shall I crucify your king? This is the king that you guys are asking for. Shall I crucify him? And so the final blow that the Jews deliver on Jesus, that the Romans deliver on Jesus was they crucify him. And this man 
this man Jesus that you know served the, the Jews, that healed the Israelites, that fed them, that lived among them for 33 years, was finally crucified. And the Jews, all they have to say is that we have no king but Caesar. All they can say at the end is, we have no king. Our king is Caesar. You know, this is just another guy that, you know, that's going to remain in history like the rest of the kings that came and went. This guy is just, you know, just another, he popped up, you know, he talked all this talk, and now he's going to be gone, and we, we can finally get rid of him. And for the, for the Jews that did know Jesus, that, that served with him, you know, his disciples, his uh, families, his, the people that got healed by him, that, that were fed by him, the people that experienced his love, that experienced, you know, a touch from him, uh, they were looking at it, it's like, guys, what are you doing? This, this was the Messiah. This, this was what the prophecies were about. This was what, you know, we waited for all these hundreds of years. So this is what we've been telling our children that was going to happen. This was the guy that's finally going to save us. What are you guys doing saying to go crucify him? You know, you have this great guy, Barabbas. Why don't you guys go ahead and crucify him? You know, he killed people. He tried an insurrection, you know, against Herod. You know, he was, he was the guy that was trying to overthrow the king. But no, you guys are trying to kill the guy that fed us, the guy that healed us, the guy that healed my mother, or the guy that fed my children. This is the man that you wanted to kill. And so now the, the Jews that, that, are, that are seeing this, they now witness the death of Jesus. And with that death, with that, with that death, came the death of a lot of the hopes of the Israelites, uh, came the death of a lot of hopes of the Jews. You know, they've been waiting for this time for, for hundreds of years. And now, you know, they, they, they didn't hear about the, the resurrection. Way. And if they did hear about it, you know, some of them were doubtful. You know, they've probably never seen a resurrection before. And so they see Jesus dying on the cross and like, this is the end of it. You know, this, was, this is the end of, of what was our salvation. This is the end of what, what, what was to be, you know, our, our deliverance from, from, uh, uh, from the Romans or from just any other... A political party during that time that was oppressing against the Israelites. This was the death of that hope. And, you know, I, I read a story, and I'm, I'm not sure if this is true or not, but it's a story about Abraham Lincoln. And in this story, uh, this was back in April of 1865, and Abraham Lincoln had just been assassinated. And a lot of us, we, we're familiar with Abraham Lincoln as the guy that uh, wrote the Emancipation Proclamation. He was the guy that basically freed the slaves. And so he, he's lying there dead, and there's this great line of people, you know, they're waiting to see him, and this line is slowly moving along. And in that line, in that line is this African-American woman, and she's holding a baby, uh, maybe a one- or two-year-old guy, a little baby boy. And, you know, they're waiting their turn to reach the casket of Abraham Lincoln. And they finally, after hours and hours of waiting in a long line, they reach the president's bodies and she lifts up her little son and she's telling him, hey, look, this is the guy that died for you. This is the guy that freed us from slavery. This is the guy, take a good long look at him. This is the guy that we are now able to live as free people, not as slaves anymore, but as free people. And I can imagine that same day, that same day, around the cross of Jesus, there were maybe, maybe tens of people and their, you know, mothers, children, you know, holding their, their babies and saying, take a good long look at this man that died on the cross. 
This man died for your sins. This man died for our liberation. This man died so that we can receive salvation. And in that moment, I can imagine that a lot of these children, they're, they're looking at this man and saying, how can this guy save us? He's dead. You know, the, the baby that, that the African-American lady, African lady was holding saying, this guy is dead. What has he done for me? I don't understand it. And what a lot of these people, I can imagine, were, were thinking to themselves is that, you know, this day will pass, this day will pass, a week will pass, a month will pass, and we're going to forget about this guy. We're going to just remember him as a, as a guy that came, he helped us, he fed us, you know, we received some healing from him somehow miraculously, we don't understand it this day, and that will be the end of it. And that's not where the story ends. The story begins just in Matthew chapter 28, and that's, where, that's what we read today as the Bible read. Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10, and just into the entire chapter. Three long days pass, and Jesus is laying in the tomb. And for three long days, the Jews are just kind of in this de depression, right? They're, they're, they, they've, they've experienced Jesus. They've experienced his life. They've experienced his goodness. And now three, you know, the first day passes all day uh, Friday, all day Saturday, all day Thursday. And now it's Sunday morning, Sunday morning. And let's, let's just go to uh, Matthew 28, and we can be there for the rest of the rest of the sermon. Well, you guys can be there for the rest of the sermon, because I'll be referencing to it back and forth. Matthew ch chapter 28, Sunday morning. And behold, there was a great, I should call it Sabbath first day of the week. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. The angels, the, uh, Mary Magdalene and Mary, they come to see the, the tomb, probably to uh, put some ointments, whatever they got to do. Uh, they're coming to see Jesus that was crucified. And the angels know this. The angels saying, you guys are coming here because you're expecting a guy that died, a guy that was crucified, a guy that was killed by the Romans. And then in verse 6, he says, he is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And so these, these women, they enter the grave and they see, you know, Jesus' clothing folded up nicely. And they're probably, they're, their thoughts are racing. They don't know what to do. And they, they run from that place and they're, they're going to tell the disciples that, hey, guys, look, Jesus is alive. You know, they, they, they're running with fear and great joy. And, and it says in verse 9, as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and they, and, there, and they will see me. And there they will see me. So the news begins traveling fast around the Christian circle that was during that time. You know, word spreads that, you know, guys, look, Jesus is alive. Jesus is no longer dead. You know, we, we saw him die on the cross. We saw him be buried. We saw him taken down limp from the cross. We saw the soldier pierce his side. He was dead. You know, now, three days later, news is traveling fast that Jesus is alive. 
And for a lot of these people, you know, we read it in here, we read it throughout the, the, the four Gospels that a lot of the people, they didn't believe it. A lot of the people were doubtful. A lot of the people were kind of like, you guys are just crazy, you know, we've never seen a resurrection. We've never experienced a resurrection, much less, you know, Jesus, the guy that, that said was, was to be saving us, you know, now all of a sudden he's alive again. It's, it's hard to wrap the mind around. And so the, the news is traveling fast. The news is traveling fast. And, when, and there reaches a point in Luke chapter 24 where two men are, are, are walking this road to Emmaus. And we, we read the story a lot uh, surrounding the, the resurrection of Jesus. And they're traveling to, the, to, the, uh, to, to, to Emmaus. And they're joined by Jesus. They're joined by Jesus. And Jesus, you know, they, they start walking together. And, and Jesus asked them, you know, what are you guys talking about? What are you guys, you know, he's, and, and during this time, these two guys, they don't know that that's Jesus. They, they don't, their eyes are not open. They can't understand. They, they, they're, they're, you know, they're spiritualized, they're closed. They don't, they don't know that this guy is Jesus. And so Jesus joins them on this road to Emmaus. And, and he starts walking with them and he says, what are you guys talking about? You know, what's, what's, what's the conversation, you know, around these places? You know, what's, what's the news? You know, get, spill the tea, right, guys? And these guys are like, what do you mean? Like, have you not heard what's been happening in, 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 this, in this place? You know, have you not heard about the death? Have, have you not heard about that, you know, that there's a resurrection now? And, you know, Jesus is like, well, you know, what things? What things? And... Um, the, the guys are saying, you know, there, there's this guy, his name was Jesus of Nazareth, uh, and he was, you know, he was supposed to deliver Israel. He was supposed to be this great guy. He was supposed to be a prophet, mighty indeed, uh, and word before God and all the people. And now he's dead. Now he's, he's been crucified. You know, all of our hopes are dead with him. And we're just kind of, we don't know what to do. We're just lost. You know, who else are we supposed to wait for, right? We, we waited for this guy for hundreds of years. We're not going to go through this whole process again. We're not going to go through another 400 years of silence. We're not going to go through another, you know, years and decades and hundreds of years of prophecies again just to wait for another Messiah. This was our guy. This was our opportunity. And we blew it. You know, we, us, us people, we blew it. You know, this was our opportunity. And, and, and they, they're saying, and, and Jesus says to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. And he's telling them, Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And so Jesus begins kind of explaining the story to them. You know, he, Jesus begins in the prophets, and he's telling about all the things that was prophesied about him. He's telling about, you know, that he was to be, to be delivered, like, he was to be crucified on the cross. And he's telling them all these stories. And the guy's like, yeah, we know this. You know, we, we understand this. This is what we've been taught all of our childhood. This is what we've been taught by our parents, our great parents, that, hey, the, all of these prophecies do, do talk about Jesus. They do talk about the resurrection. They do talk about uh, the fact that he was supposed to come and deliver us as a people. And so they reach this, this place, Emmaus, and it's getting dark out. It's getting laid out. And the guys are like, Jesus, well, they don't know it's Jesus. Like, hey, why don't you stay with us for the night? You know, it, it, just stay with us. The day is long. You know, you can eat a little bit. And, and then in the morning, uh, you, can, uh, you can go on your way. And they're, and they're in this room, and they're getting ready to eat. And Jesus takes bread. He takes the bread, 
he breaks it, he blesses it, and he, get, he gives it to them. And in that moment, all of their eyes were open. All of their eyes were open, and they realized that this was Jesus. This was, in fact, Jesus who was crucified, who died, who, who was gone for three days in the tomb, and now he's here with us. He's here breaking bread like he did in the, in the upper room. This, he's, he's here with us, and he's handing out the bread, and he's alive. He's alive. And, and, and they're telling to one another, this was after their eyes were opened, Jesus vanishes from their sight. He disappears from their sight. And they're saying to each other, you know, guys, when we were walking, did, did not our hearts burn within us? Did, did we not, you know, feel something in, inside of us? Why didn't we realize that this was Jesus? Why didn't we realize that this was the man, you know, that, that we talked about, that, that was resurrected? Now he's resurrected. Now he was with us. And now he is alive. And after that, Jesus begins confirming his resurrection. He appears to a number, a great number of people. And more and more disciples, you know, he shows his hands. He shows his feet. You know, there was a doubting people, you know, saying, like, we, we won't believe until we see the scars on your hand. And Jesus shows them. Jesus shows them, hey, look, there, there's scars on my hands. There's scars on my feet. And, and a lot of people, they start believing and this is this is where this is where kind of the story reaches its its uh, climax, right? This is this this is the point in the life of Jesus as a king. It reaches its 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 kind of epic, you know, beginning or end or whatever you want to call it. And in Matthew chapter twenty-eight, in Matthew chapter twenty-eight, Jesus gathers all his disciples together, and they go up on this mountain. And on this mountain, Jesus says some, some words that, you know, he couldn't say these words before his death, before his resurrection. But after his death, after his resurrection, after his defeat of death, of sin, he gathers all his disciples on this mountain. And in verse 18, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Excuse me. And Jesus, he, he's, he's telling his disciples these wonderful words that... He's going to be with them to the end of the age. And they didn't receive yet the, the promise of the Holy Spirit. But after his resurrection, Jesus tells them, I have authority now as king over heaven and earth. And, and nothing can, can take that away. And my kingdom will rule forever. You know, um, it was talked about Jesus in, in 1 Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 7 verse 16 it says about David it was says that it was promised that his house and his kingdom will endure forever and his throne will be established forever and in the same place in Isaiah it was talked about Jesus that his of his government of his kingdom he shall have no end and so after Jesus was given this power and authority in heaven and on earth he says of this kingdom there shall be no end of this kingdom there shall be no end and so the disciples, you know, they, they wait, they receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. They start going out to all these nations. They start preaching the gospel. Hundreds of thousands of people are saved. 
you know, days after days. And so a lot of people, they come to this, um, they, they come to this conclusion. And the conclusion was that Jesus, the, the guy that was promised to us by the prophets, he did in fact come. This was the man. This was the guy. He came. He served a humble life here on earth as a king. He died humbly on a cross as a king. He rose again from the dead as a king. But now he's a powerful king. He has power over earth. He has power in heaven. And I want to just kind of tie this all together. I want to tie this all together. You know, we're celebrating Easter coming up. And the last kind of category I told you guys I would talk about was that he is going to be the coming king. We read about the fact that he's a risen king. He, he, he is alive. He is powerful. He is victorious. I asked you guys, hey, what, what does Easter bring to mind? He is all of those things and then some. He is all of those things, uh, just things that we, you know, words that we can't describe him. He is all of those things. And now that we are waiting. We kind of, as believers, we're in this time, you know, be, after the resurrection of Jesus and his second coming, we're in this time of waiting. We're in this time of of, uh, of kind of hoping for, for the, the coming Messiah. And this time, you know, he's not going to come in a, in, a, in a manger. He's not going to come riding on a donkey. He's not going to come humbly. He's coming as a powerful king. He's coming to take his church. He's, ta- he's coming to take his bride, the church of Jesus Christ that he has prepared uh, for, for hundreds and thousands of years. The church of Jesus Christ is waiting patiently for the second coming of, of Jesus And during this time, during this time, during this time of waiting, the question that I want to ask us tonight is, is Jesus Christ king over our lives? And I'm not saying this, you know, as, 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 you know, is Jesus some powerful, you know, like, um, you know, is he like kind of like King Charles of, of England over our lives? No. Is Jesus, does he have rule? Does he have reign over our lives? Does he have control over all aspects of our life? You know, as a king... Uh, a king would say that they have control over the entire nation. They say they have control over uh, finances. They have control over the economy. They have control over social statuses. They have control over basically everything. And so the question that rises to us tonight is, does Jesus have control over your life in, in every sphere of your life? Does he have control over your, your, your finances? Does he have control over your, your friendship, your relationships, your your family relationships, your, your boyfriend-girlfriend relationships, whatever relationship that it may be, does he have control over that? Do, do you say, well, Lord, here, here's your category. That's where you can be king over my life. I'll take care of the rest. You know, does, does, he, have, does he have just reign over our finances? Does he have just reign over our school? Look, Lord, bless the, my schooling. This is, what, this is your category to stay in. Or does he have, what was that? Or does he have power? That's my cue to end, right? Does he have power over everything? And I want to finish off with a couple of verses that, I, that just kind of sum up the fact that Jesus is King of kings and that he's Lord of lords. And the first verse I want to read is in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 15, where it says that, which he will manifest in his own time, he who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And in Revelation chapter 19, verse 16, Jesus is described as this coming king. And when he comes, we're going to see him in all his glory. And in, verse, in chapter 19, verse 16, it says, And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And with that, I want to I just wrap up. 
we, we, as we look upon Easter, as we look upon uh, the, these coming holidays, Palm Sunday, and, and these following uh, events that lead up to uh, Easter Sunday, I want us to remind ourselves of the journey that Jesus had to go through, of, of all the prophecies that led up to him being the risen king, of all the events that led up to him being the powerful king, of, of all the events that lead up to him being the, the king that is to be coming soon. And I want us to remind ourselves of that. You know, oftentimes we, we look at Jesus as just the risen king. We, we, we don't look at him as the prophesied king. We don't look at him as the humble king. He left us a great example of, of how to live on this earth humbly. Uh, and and we, we look at him as the crucified king. And throughout all of these categories, I want us to look at Jesus as king over our entire aspects of our life, right? Not only just in one area, not only just in another area, but let him have reign, control over every single aspect of our lives. And with that, I want to I just, let's all stand up together. Let's finish off with a word of prayer. Let's thank Jesus for, for him being this risen, amazing king that died for our sins, that didn't stay in the grave, that rose again on the third day, that gave us life, that gave us victory over sin, that gave us uh, a new life, a new creation, and that we can live this life with a hope and with an encouragement, with a, with a faith that he is coming soon as, as a victorious king, as a king that will take us to himself and that we will reign with him forever. So let's go to God in prayer. Lord, we